We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs, patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, as I uh, was growing up, there was a phrase I would often hear, way too often hear, um, and I, I suspect it's a phrase you probably heard as well from your parents. You see, I had two brothers and two sisters, so I didn't have to go far to hurt somebody. Right? You know how that works if you had siblings at all. But we also had a neighborhood full of kids just in case I ran out of things to do. And, and when I did those things, I, I would hear the phrase that you could probably finish, you know... Better than that. <laughs> you don't want to confess something, do you? <laughs> yeah, you know better than that. Anybody ever hear that? Just a few of you, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just something that was said from time to time. You know better than that. And, and it was said because I should know better than that. I, 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 okay, I did know better than that, but I didn't always feel the need to follow better than that. Did you? Do you now? Of course we know better. We've had the capacity uh, as humanity, we've had the capacity since the very beginning to know better. God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and says, everything here is yours except that one tree. Now, you could argue that they didn't know better because the tree was named the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So how do they know they're doing wrong if they don't know what wrong is? I'm not sure that's an excuse because God said don't do it. That ought to be all we ought, ought to need. They should have known better than that. And yet they bit the apple and then they had knowledge of good and evil. They had knowledge of bad and good. They had knowledge of, of shame and honor. They had, they had an understanding of right from wrong. Clearly, and we know that because uh, the, next, the next part of the story is God shows up in the garden early in the morning. God would take a hike through the garden, and, and, and God's like, Adam, where are you? Oh, I'm hiding in this, in this shrubbery over here. Well, why? Because I'm naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? He was hiding because of his shame of being naked. He was naked before but he didn't know that there was shame 
that might be involved in that. And so God knew that he now had the knowledge from eating from that tree. And the story that follows that is the story of Cain and Abel. Cain knew better. There were no laws at that point. Remember, the Ten Commandments don't come for several thousand years. There were no laws at that point that said, thou shalt not kill. But he knew better than that. He knew better than to kill his brother, right? I knew better when I hurt my brothers and sisters because there was a consequence to it. You know better than that, right? Let me shift gears for just a moment and show you a picture. This is, this is a tiger slug, all right? That's a tiger slug. That's a pretty little thing, isn't it? It's, uh, so what I want to share with you about this tiger slug is God creates these things sometimes that are just amazing. If you want to see a tiger slug, you have to go to about four feet of water in Bali. My brother took this picture, by the way, just this past week. And, and look at the detail on that, that animal. Look at, look at how well-colored it is, how beautiful it is. And now know this. It is about an eighth of an inch long. God puts that kind of detail into that animal. Incredible detail. Beautiful detail. And here's the other thing you need to know. If you, if you came up on a, a thousand of those together... Each one of them, the detail is different. Like a fingerprint, each one is unique. Now know this. Here in Matthew 6, 25 to 27, we read, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God creates everything. And from a godly perspective, looking at the world, looking at the universe, the creation from, from God's view, God puts this incredible intention to detail to something that is a fraction of an inch and loves you even more than the detail he put into that. You count even more than that. As a matter of fact, here's, here's what Jesus says uh, in another passage. Are not, um, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs on all of your heads are numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. God looks at the detail and, and, and spends this exquisite amount of time coloring the universe and making it so diverse and so wonderful and loves you more than all of that. Loves you with this enormous, expansive love. A love that is, is, is beyond our ability to conceive. This is what acceptance is from God's perspective. From a God-down perspective, as, as creator, God cares. In, in Jesus Christ, God sees your worth. And you're worth saving. And if you're not worth saving, neither is anyone else. And if there's anyone that's not worth saving, neither are you.
And God sees everyone as worth saving. I, I think in our, in our society today, there are a couple buzzwords that, that we run aground with, especially when, when we read the scripture in verse 7 where it says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Um, acceptance is a buzzword right now, right? Uh, words like um, acceptance and inclusivity, these are buzz, buzzwords. And so often I, I think that, that culture changes the meaning of words to fit their narrative, I've noticed that a lot lately. A lot of words, phrases are changed to fit a narrative. And so um, acceptance has come to mean um, you do you and I'll accept whatever that is. There's this depth of permissiveness to it. And, and, and I want to tell you that God's acceptance of you does have guardrails, but recognize this. Still, God accepts you. Still, God accepts you. There's this expansiveness to his acceptance of us. That, that word, accept one another, in, in the Greek, the word that's used um, means um, to welcome with hospitality. Now, hospitality was such a big deal back then, right? Hospitality, that, that, that if, if somebody, if you had a house in the middle of the woods and somebody happened to be hiking by, they had refrigerator privileges. That's what hospitality was back in that day. Complete stranger. That's what, that's what that word it means, it, to accept one another. It's to, to welcome one another with a, with a depth of hospitality. And, and you see, you can accept people into your friendship group without agreeing with them. And just because someone disagrees with you, it doesn't mean that they hate you or that you hate them or that they're not accepted. You can include somebody in your life without the assumption that their beliefs or lifestyle are going to rub off on you or that you are in full harmony with what they do and how they live. In Matthew 9, verses 9 to 11, we read this about Jesus. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you think the sin of the sinners rubbed off on Jesus? I mean, let's not go to the cross thing and the taking your sins. Let's just, do you think the sin of the sinners infected Jesus? Do you suppose he secretly crept out of bed in the middle of the night, seeking out the sin that infected the lives of the crowd he ate with? Or did Jesus, in welcoming them into his presence, Show them God's redeeming love. Romans 15, 7, that I already read it, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Just as Christ accepted you. At the time you came to Christ, if you have come to Christ, did you, did you measure up to the full standard of Christ? Were you like, equal 
with Jesus at the time you came to Christ? According to the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that, that, is, that is a statement uh, that has a moment in history, the crucifixion. Christ died for us. But it's also a statement that has a spiritual eternal meaning for all humanity throughout time. That within our lives, we are sinful, and still, God's grace that comes to us through the cross is there for us, no matter when in history we live. There's a, there's a, a theologian, I've shared this before, a theologian um, named Tillich, um, who, who looked at grace from the God perspective, from the godly view down. And he says in grace, he says, accept that you are accepted. You get that? Accept that you are, sometimes we talk about, uh, you know, uh, uh, accepting Jesus into our heart, right? And that's not, it's not wrong to say that, but... We can do that only because in Christ, God has accepted us. That's the only way we can, we can receive Christ is because God has offered, has accepted us into his family. We can only receive it if it's offered. We don't measure up to a standard when we come to Christ but as, as John Wesley uh, would put it, are you moving on toward the perfection that Christ is calling you to? Perfection meaning, do you perfectly love God and perfectly love people? And in my experience, if somebody claims it, they're probably lying. Because here's what I've experienced. If, if, I, if I meet somebody that I just think is so deep in their faith and, and so incredibly, um, uh, they're, they're living it in a way far better than anybody else I've met. And I can always, there's always somebody I can name um, that, that I won't, but I, I could name and go, yeah, I think, I think they're right there. And if you ask them, they would say, huh, not even close. So I think the, the closer you get to Christ, uh, this is the, the script, I should have put it in there, so I'm, I'm going to freewheel it here. Um, so imagine Christ being the light of the world, right? And the farther the way you, away you are, the more shadow there is, and the more darkness. And so for yourself, you can't see the wrong on either side sometimes until you step into that light. And you begin to see how wide your offense is. And so the closer you get to Christ, the more you realize how much farther you have to go. And that's my experience with people who are deep in their faith. And the other thing about people who are deep in their faith is they step into that light and they realize how far they have to go. They're not so much worried about the people that are behind them and how far they are. They've accepted that. They've accepted them. Could we possibly accept that we're not all on the same path of faith and we're not all in the same place on that path? Some are far ahead and some are far behind. Some are accelerating toward grace while, while some are stalled out in their faith and some are working toward it and some are sitting in the pews, so to speak, and hoping it works toward them. And the very good news is that God is patient with us all. 
In 2 Peter verse three, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understood slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He's patient with you. And as you read this passage, if you read it in the, the full context of the book of 2 Peter, what you realize is this, that it could have dual meaning, and it's hard. There's a lot of places in the Bible that have dual meaning, and it's hard to figure out which was meant, which probably means both. And so one way to look at this is to overpersonalize it, and that's okay, to say, God is patient with me. God will deal with me on the time I offer. God's patient with me. The other way to look at it is this letter is written to a group of people who have already accepted Christ and whose job it is now to spread Christ to their community. And God's patient with them because God wants all those people in the community to come to faith. So personalize it, but also socialize it. Make it God's patient with me but also God's patient with me to go out and share. You know, I, I think failure to accept anyone into church, into church fellowship is sin on our part. And repentance is necessary. Christ, by his loving acceptance, was able to make a distinction between who people are and what they have done or what they've where they've been. Even in, in our offensive and sinful state, we're still the object of God's love. Christ sees who we are and sees us as beloved by God, knows the detail of our life, the hairs on our heads and the, the, the swirl of our fingerprints knows who we are, and still accepts us into his grace. And, and, and the purpose for this command to accept one another is in that same verse. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. As we more and more become the church we ought to be, the world will notice and give God glory. My hope is that when, when people come into our church, into our fellowship, that there will be a sense of, of something different going on here, a, a sense that people would say, you know, I want what they want. I, I want to be who I see in them. I, I was watching uh, uh, TV last night. Uh, the Cardinals game was supposed to be on, but it was delayed by rain. I wish it was postponed to another day after all, but it was delayed by rain. And, and um, uh, there was, there was, they, they put on these little, little uh, you know, short um, uh, um, shows that they, they pre-recorded for this sort of thing. And some of them I've seen several times because there's been a lot of rain delays lately. And, and, but, but this one um, they put on, they were talking about Yadier Molina and, and, and Adam Wainwright and, you know, these, this pitcher-catcher duo, they, they own the, uh, the record for the most times that a pitcher and catcher have thrown to each other. 
And, and, uh, but people are talking about the character of Yachty and the character of, of Wainwright. And, and one of the people talking, Skip Schumacher, who played with Yachty and, 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 uh, uh, and Adam uh, and is now the manager of the uh, um, uh, Florida Marlins, um, Miami, he, uh, he says this. He says, when I got to know Adam, he gave me my first Bible. This is a full-grown adult gave him his first Bible. And I thought, as I, as I got to know him more, I thought, I want what he has. I want what he has. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people came to church and said, I want what they have. I want to be as they are. But they couldn't come if they didn't feel welcome or accepted. There's a, there's a, a professor of homiletics, uh, uh, which means preaching, a uh, professor of preaching, um, Fred Craddock. And uh, Craddock's, uh, you know, one of those giants in the preaching field that, that every professor I ever had quoted him. Um, but, but Craddock uh, tells a story of one day he was, uh, he was asked to do a seminar, be a part of a seminar, be a keynote speaker. And so he shows up the day before, checks into a hotel. This is years ago, apparently. Um, and checks into the hotel. Uh, overnight, the snow is so deep that people can't even show up for the seminar. And, and he gets on the phone, he calls his host, um, and uh, uh, says, what are we going to do? And he says, well, I, you know, hang on, um, maybe the weather will loosen up, lighten up, and, and people will be able to make it. But for now, there's a, there's a diner, right, about a block and a half from where you are. So you, if you check in a hotel today, you expect breakfast to come with it, right? But it, back then, this diner right down the street. So he, I guess he put on his galoshes and went on to the diner. And as he entered in, he noticed that it was packed. And, um, but, but people saw others coming in and knew the, the circumstance of the, of the weather outside, and they made room. Some strangers sitting together or sitting side by side at the, at the rail, whichever. And as he's sitting there and drinking some coffee and having some breakfast, a woman walks in who's not very nicely dressed. Doesn't smell so good either. And and the, the, the man in the in the greasy apron says, Can I help you? She says, I just just want to get a glass of water. And they made room. But the waiter said, You gotta order something to eat. She said, I really just want a glass of water. So he went to get the water, she sat down, gave her the water and said, Now you have to order something. You can't stay here, you can't take up space if you're not gonna eat. These are paying customers. And she said, okay, and she got up to leave. And the person to her right and her left got up to leave. And the person to their right and their left got up to leave. Craddock is watching as everybody in the restaurant gets up to leave. And the waiter says, all right, all right. And they all go back to sit down, and he serves her a plate of food. And Craddock leans over to the guy next to him, who was one of them that got up to leave, and he, and he says, who is that lady? And the guy said, I don't know, but if she's not welcome, I'm not welcome. Here in a moment, we're going to start, we're going to move into communion. And, and, and the technical rule in, in, in the Methodist church and most churches, the technical rule is all who are baptized are welcome to communion. 
But the Methodist church allows a little wiggle room, and most of us pastors take that wiggle room that allows us to say, everyone's welcome. Baptized or not, what you believe, who you are, what you think, everyone is welcome. Because if I'm not welcome, you're not welcome. If somebody's unwelcome, you're not welcome. And in the family of Christ, everyone is welcome. Amen and amen.